Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you want to speak to us. And Lord, I pray that these would be your words this morning and not mine, as we know that you alone have the words of eternal life. And Lord, anything that's from me, I pray, would fall to the ground. But uh, what's from you, Lord, I pray, would, would bring forward your stream of grace and love, that uh, you would inspire and encourage people, that you would bring life and love. And um, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, speaking of worship, I thought I'd start with the question, what is worship? I think it's easy in a church setting to, to think of worship as the singing. That's, that's what we do as our worship on a Sunday morning. But worship extends a, a lot beyond what we do on a Sunday morning, beyond our singing. And I, I've come up with what I think is a definition of worship. Uh, so when I'm speaking about worship this morning, this, this is what I'm meaning. Worship is a lifestyle that willingly seeks to glorify God in thought, word, and action in response to God's calling and with thanksgiving. So I'll I'll just repeat that again. I probably should have put it on the screen, but I'll, I'll repeat it again for you. Worship is a lifestyle that willingly seeks to glorify God in thought, word, and action in response to God's calling and with thanksgiving. So if that's worship, what, what is so important about worship? Why does worship matter? Well, it's the reason for our existence, and it will be our existence forever. We were created to worship, and as we go on to eternity in life with God, we will be worshipping forever. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is one of the most well-known Protestant doctrinal statements, uh, starts with a question that is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To put it simply, worship matters. Uh, And worship matters, and there's four points that I want to briefly share with you this morning about worship. And these four points are based loosely on the titles from a book by Bob Kauflin that's called Worship Matters. Uh, the first of these is matters of the heart. What you love affects your worship. God desires worshippers who seek him wholeheartedly, who love him with all of the heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is what I want to focus on this morning, so I'll come back to matters of the heart. Uh, matters of the head, what you know and what you believe impacts your worship. It impacts who you worship how you worship, what you worship. Uh, When Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know. And what you know about God really affects how you worship. Uh, this might seem like a, a silly example, but if I, might, if I say to you, I, I know your pastor, Nick. I, I know Nick really well. He's a, a short guy. He's uh, dark-skinned. He's got long hair, and he puts it up in this kind of hippie man bun thing. You'd say to me, I, I think you've got the wrong person. Are, are we talking about the same Nick here? And I think it's the same when it comes to, to, to speaking about God. If, if we don't know the God that we're worshipping, Do we know that we're worshipping the right God? Do do we know, uh, are we responding to who he really is in the way that we worship? What you believe and what you know affects how you worship. 
And I think that this is partly why declarations and creeds and singing songs in church are so important because they're affirming what we know about God. They're affecting what we believe about God and as we know the truth and he reveals more of himself to us, our response is to worship and to worship genuinely. We worship what we know. I mean, just as a quick example, I think of the Apostles' Creed, and it starts with, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. I mean, you just stop at that one line, and you could think on that and ponder that and think of the revelation of of who God is. I mean, we were singing before, it's your breath in our lungs. So I pour out my praise is the response. God is our creator, and our response to that is to worship him for who he is. And We haven't got into him making heaven and earth yet. Well, we're not even past the first line of one simple creed. God has revealed himself to us and he calls us to know him, to know his love, his character and his great deeds. And we can be confident of who we are worshipping, that he is worthy of our worship because of our faith in his revelation. Matters of the head, what you know affects how you worship. Matters of the hands, what you do affects your worship. Jesus says that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. That the internal affects how you act. It means that the true judge of your heart is the actions that follow. In the Old Testament, we see this idea again and again of bringing your first and bringing your best. I think the most simple example of that is the tithe. That in worship, in offering, we're called to bring the first and the best. Um, but I, I kind of think about what about the rest? Uh, and our hands in worship, what we do, our actions need to go beyond the 10% and they need to affect the 90%. That everything we do is worship and every action needs to come from a heart that is worshipping God. Uh, I, I think of the passage where Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, can you imagine counting out a tenth of your cumin? Like one, two, three. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, the 90%. And then in Romans it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship goes far beyond the first and the best to affecting everything. And again, using the tithe as an example, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's hard sometimes to give 10%, but I think it can become an easy thing to just set the direct deposit, it goes in, that 10%, I can do what I want with the rest of, the, of my money. But God wants you to spend your money wisely. He wants you to be a good steward. He wants you to be generous. He wants you to help those in need far beyond what you give in a tithe. And I think that that's an example that affects the rest of our life. What you do, it's your whole life that matters in worship. So I believe that if the heart and the head and the hands are worshipping, then your whole life becomes worship. And um, this morning I want to look at the heart uh, because I think the heart is the root of all these things when it comes to worship. And we're going to read uh, the passage that that, um, 
Nick read out earlier in Matthew chapter 15. But I I just want to say that this passage can come across negatively at first. Jesus is quite harsh of the Pharisees in this this passage. But I want to look at the positive side of this and say that there's no criticism or obligation that I want to share this morning. And if it comes across that way, uh, I I hope that you're hearing me wrong and I hope that it doesn't come across that way. I I see this as Jesus is actually coming to, to the defense of those who are following him, who are in relationship with him rather than criticizing them and the criticisms of the pharisees show us the opposite ideal that he is calling us into to worship him from the heart so matthew chapter 15 verses 1 to 20 then some of the pharisees and the teachers of the law came to jesus from jerusalem and asked why do your disciples break bread the tradition of the elders they don't wash their hands before they eat Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother is to be put to death. But I say to you, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not honoring their mother and father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth and goes into the stomach, then out of the body, but the things that come out of of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. Now, as a worship pastor, having spent uh, so much time as my job investing in how the band appears on stage and the practice that they put in and putting on a good show, I I get this terrible habit of critiquing worship when I visit other churches. I mean, I come in with all the right intentions. Uh, I'm looking for inspiration and new ideas to bring back to my church. I look for things that they do better and then how we can improve the things that we do. Uh, I observe a lot of good things, but I often get frustrated. I, I think the guitar is too loud and that is distracting me from worship. Or uh, the vocalist, I, why, is, why is he trying to do harmonies? I mean, I, I know make a joyful noise to the Lord, but that is taking away my joy. Does it have to be into a microphone? And bass players, I have to say it's, it's really refreshing this morning seeing Abraham getting into the worship because so many churches that I've visited, the bass players... <laughs> and, and then the, the worship leader's praying or speaking to the congregation and they're... Yeah, very refreshing to see that this morning, Abraham. Thank you. And I imagine some of you here even do the same in your own services. Maybe you come in thinking, oh, I really wish we had a drum kit. Worship would just be so much better if we had a drum kit. Or uh, isn't it great that Eliza's leading worship this morning? Or why didn't we do the new song that we did last week? Or how come there were no hymns this morning? And... I can imagine some of you thinking, I know what's coming next. He's going to say, worship is not a performance. Well, actually, I think worship is a performance. In fact, it's one of the most important performances. It's one that we should not only do well, but we should do to the best of our ability, and we should push ourselves to make it better and better. 
William Willimon, who's a, a professor who lectures in preaching and worship, says, why should God be opposed to a Sunday morning show unless it's not a good show? The problem is not with our worship being a show. The problem is that we think the performance is about us about how we worshipped or how the worship team played or how we helped others in worship. And when I talk about worship as a performance, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that as a postmodern Western church, we consume worship. That's why I evaluate worship teams, because I am a worship consumer. I mean, we buy CDs, we go to concerts, uh, I mean conferences and conventions. We choose the type of worship that we like in the type of church that we like. Why? Because we like it. And this is the criticism that Jesus had for the Pharisees. It was all about them. In verse 3, Jesus says, You break the command of God for your tradition. Their religious acts were more about themselves than about God. And sometimes I wonder if we unintentionally fall into that same rut. That worship is more about how I feel or what I got out of it or what others think of it than it is about God. We consume worship, but God wants us to be consumed by him in worship. God and our devotion to him should be all-consuming. God is God, and he ought to be the number one in our life, and our worshipping of him ought to affect not just the Sunday morning between 10 and 11.30, not just how we play in the church band or how we sing along, uh, how we sing songs, but it should consume every area of our lives. We are worship consumers, but we need to become consumed in worship. We need to get rid of this idea that the performance, the choice of songs, the quality of the music or the experience of the worship is about us, but instead be consumed in our offering to God. Ephesians 6, 7, it puts it this way. Serve the Lord wholeheartedly as if you, sorry, serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not people. And what makes a good show to us in worship is not necessarily what makes a good show to God. Uh, The music, the preaching, the audiovisual, or even the morning tea. Uh, The Lord says through the prophet Samuel, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. In verse 18 of the passage that we read this morning, Jesus puts it this way, that things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. If the heart is far from God, then the music, the preaching, the media, even the morning tea, no matter how good they are, are simply hollow. The external is important, but it is secondary to the heart. If you haven't got the internal right, if the heart is not good, then the acts of worship are simply empty. The performance, the actions, the externals, to use Jesus' own words in verse 9, are in vain. The performance that God is watching is internal. God looks at the heart, and what he is looking for is a heart that treasures him. What God is looking for is people who seek after him with all of their heart. In fact, when asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is central to worship. 
And it's not what we see the Pharisees doing in Matthew 15. Jesus says to the Pharisees, why do you choose your tradition over God? And their tradition is good. Their tradition is about God. More specifically, it's about the law of God. They treasured the law. They treasured the law so much that they made new laws so that they didn't break the law. In the passage that we were looking at, it it speaks about their, their human traditions. It's kind of like if you had so much respect for the road rules that you didn't want to speed at all, so you changed your speedometer so it read 20 kilometres per hour below the speed limit. That's kind of like what the Pharisees were doing. That put new laws in so that you wouldn't go close to breaking God's laws. That's how much respect they had for God's laws. But they took it a step further that if someone went past... uh, 55 in a 60 zone, they're going at 40, they wind down the window and yell out, why are you going so fast, you hoon? That's the kind of respect that they had for the law. And and we see it here, though, that it's their traditions. In verse 5, it speaks about money and parents, and it's a little kind of confusing, the, the wording there. But what he's saying is that these people had a responsibility to look after their parents in their old age. They would have had money set aside to do it. They needed to look after it. And they're saying, well, actually, no, this money, I'm going to devote it to God and I'm going to use it for things of the temple. I'm going to give it in temple offerings rather than fulfill my responsibility to my parents. And Jesus is saying here, it's all well and good to give your money to God, but God has given you responsibilities that you need to do and your heart needs to be honouring God more than it is the law's that have been put in place. They were called to be devoted to God, but they treasured the law more than they treasured God who gave the law. So when it comes to worship, one of the most important questions I believe to ask is what do you treasure? For the Pharisees, it was the law. Uh, What do I love? What, What do I adore? What is really number one in my life? What is on the throne of my heart? Uh, For the Pharisees, it was the law. For us, it might be money or a relationship or a career. It might be power or popularity. It might be what music there is in church. Some of these things are not bad in and of themselves, like the law is not bad in and of itself. But when they are placed above God, when they take the worship God deserves, that's when the issue is. The biggest issue in genuine worship is right here in the heart where you do battle over who or what receives your worship, God or someone or something else. In 2 Kings 17, it says they feared the Lord, but they served their own gods. So I asked this morning, what is on the throne of your heart? What do you treasure? Where is your treasure? And if you're not sure the answer to that question, there are a few things that help me identify that kind of thing. I ask questions like, uh, what do I enjoy the most? Uh, Where does my mind drift to when there's nothing particularly on my mind? Uh, What am I passionate about? What do I spend my money on? What makes me angry or depressed if I don't get it? Uh, What do I fear losing the most? And the answers to these questions are likely to lead you to what? is in your heart, what you are treasuring. So I'm not saying here that we can't love anything else. I I think what I'm saying is that we can't love anything else well if we don't love God first. 
Does that make sense? I'm not saying that you, you can't pursue a career, that, that there are other things that you can love, but if you love God first, you can love other things well. Now, another point I take from this passage is that God's word precedes our worship. In verse 6, it says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And I think if we flip that the other side, if we embrace God's word, that will inspire us to good worship. Uh, The religious attitudes and actions of the Pharisees were drawing them away from God as they choose their way over the word of God. And on the contrary, if you give proper priority to the word of God in your life, then it will inspire you to genuine worship. As we were speaking before about the truth and God's revelation helping us in worship, the more that we come to understand the revelation of God, the more it will inspire us to worship. So if you want to seek God wholeheartedly, look in his word. If you want to fall in love with God, look in his word. If you want to walk in the ways of God, read his word. Uh, An example that comes to mind for me when I think of worship is Psalm 92. Psalm 92, starting at verse 1, says this, It is good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. But then it goes on to say why it's good to make music. Verse 4, For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound are your thoughts. How do you know the great works of God? How do you know the profound thoughts of God? Yes, through prayer and yes, through experience, but ultimately through the revelation of God in his word. Worship is not hysterical. It's historical because we see who God is and what he has done in his word. We sing, I will worship you for who you are, as one of the songs that we do at Ride. And I think that's just such an important line that it's, it's who God is that inspires us to worship. And as we read God's word, we learn more of who he is. So if you want to engage passionately in worship, then read his word. And as you encounter God, his works, his character, his love and his grace in these pages, the natural and the supernatural response within you will be to respond in worship. To worship in delight in response to what God has done. To worship in duty to the God who is worthy and deserves our worship. To worship in joy because of who he is. What better way to enrich your worship or to fall even more in love with God than respond to his revelation through time in the word and prayer? So don't be satisfied with your understanding of God, but get to know him more. Get to know him more. Uh, The next point I take from this passage is that the internal and the external need to reflect each other, that there, there needs to be a parallel, a connection between the internal and the external. And this is the criticism that, that Jesus gives to the Pharisees uh, in verse 7 and 8. He says, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. What God is looking for when he looks at the heart is a consistency between the actions and the heart, between the external and the internal. And I question, could Jesus say the same thing to me? 
Ben, you come to church, you declare my praises from the pulpit and from the stage. You play songs and lead the congregation. You honor me with your lips. But where is your heart? And at times Jesus has said this to me. And for me, it's that I get so engrossed in serving God that sometimes I forget the one who I'm serving with all the things that I'm doing to serve. Sometimes I get distracted by human rules and pleasing others, uh, by pleasing myself, and I miss the point of worship. If God is not the focus, if God is not at the center, if God is not number one, then the words that we sing of love and adoration and declaration are in vain. They're merely lip service. And like Jesus saw the hearts of the Pharisees, he sees our hearts too. So I ask, what is Jesus looking for when he looks at our hearts? Well, to start with, uh, I think it's about honoring God and bringing your best. In Exodus, when the Lord gave instructions for the tabernacle, the, the place of worship for them in that time, he asked them to build it with skill and he expected the skilled workers to do their best. In chapter 35 of Exodus, Moses says, All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything as the Lord has commanded. And in chapter 31, the Lord set aside Bezalel, I think is how you pronounce it, to do artistic work for the tabernacle. And the Lord said, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skill to make artistic designs for work of gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craft. Uh, Just a little side note here. If you're creative, uh, God uses that. God anoints it. God blesses it. We see here, uh, filled with the spirit of God and with wisdom and understanding in order to make pretty things. God has this thing about beauty that he speaks to us in truth and in love, but he also speaks to us in beauty, in things that we can't quite put our words around. Uh, But the point I want to make here is that when it comes to our worship, God is seeking skilled worship. He's seeking us to bring our best forward, to learn and improve in our skills that we might bring better to him. Now, God doesn't ask for our best in worship, in music at church, for example, because he needs the best music. The Lord doesn't ask for skillful hands to build his place of worship in Exodus because the Lord delights in luxuries. Not at all. But when we're bringing our best, it's the heart behind these things that honors God. When we are honoring God, we will want to bring our best. Uh, And Just an example to to show that it doesn't need to be the very best. In Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty all that she had to live on. And I think this applies to more than money. God is calling us to bring the best of what we can. Though he is worthy of the very best, God does not ask for the best. He asks for your best. Because it's not the outcome that God is looking for. It's your heart that he really wants when it comes to worship. And I believe that we should worship with skillful hands, but we should also also worship with anointed, spirit-led, humble, compassionate, and gracious hands. These are the kinds of actions that the Lord is asking for in worship. 
In Isaiah 58, he says, Is not the kind of fasting that I have chosen, which I think applies to all our worship, to loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you, and when you see the naked to clothe them? This is the kind of worship that God is looking for. The best that we can give from the heart that brings about his purposes and his kingdom. Now, it might seem like a circular argument, but the more you worship, I believe the more you will worship. If your heart is not in the right place and you want it to be before God, the answer, I believe, is to let go of the things that are holding you back in your heart, to seek after God and simply to worship him. And the more that you worship him, I believe the more you'll come to understand who he is, the more that you'll fall in love with him and the more that you'll want to worship him. I think this goes the other way too, though. Uh, In Psalm 115, it says, uh, those who make idols for themselves will so put their trust in them. Uh, And I think it's what you worship affects who you are and how you grow. The more you worship idols, the more your heart is influenced by them. But the more you worship God, the more your heart reflects him, the more you focus on the love and grace and majesty of God, the more you will experience the richness and freedom of life in him as his beloved son or daughter. So if you want better worship, the first step is simply to start worshipping. Where you are with what you have, just give what you have to God in worship. The first step is to worship. And I pray that as you do worship, that you will experience new depths of richness in your relationship with God. New depths of understanding of his revelation of who he is, of who he is with you and for you. Of who he is as your father. Now, I don't want any of this by any means to sound like I'm saying do more and do better when it comes to worship because I think that's exactly the mistake that the Pharisees are being accused of in this passage. God is not looking for your actions. God does not need your devotion or your money or your talent. Rather, God wants your heart. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to live in the stream of his empowering presence and grace as you worship him. So I started by saying that I believe worship is a performance, a performance of us in our heart before God, a performance for God where we are consumed by him. So in conclusion, I just want to say, may your life be a stage that the Lord looks upon fondly. May he enjoy the show when he looks at your heart. In your singing in church or playing in the worship band, in your serving with brothers and sisters, in your loving your neighbours and witnessing to your friends, in your fighting for the vulnerable and marginalised, in all that you do, do it with a heart that seeks to glorify God and you will be putting on a show that brings great delight to the Lord as he looks to your heart. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can worship you. I thank you that that you have made a way for us to come into your presence and that you delight in us coming into your presence in relationship with you. Oh Lord, I thank you that you reveal yourself to us, that you show us who you are, that we may worship you. And Lord, I pray for more of that. I ask that you would bring a fresh revelation of your love and your truth and your grace in a way that inspires us to more worship. 
Lord, I pray that you would lead us in ways that we can show your love and your kingdom from a genuine heart in our community and beyond. Lord, I pray that our worship would honour you and lift you up. In Jesus' name.